Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. Uh, my name's Todd, if we haven't met before. First, a few announcements um, just on upcoming things for this week. So our founding teacher, Peg Syverson, is going to be in town next week, coming in, I think, on Tuesday. And so next Wednesday night, our normal uh, Wednesday evening program will be replaced by a special talk by Peg, who plans to um, read and discuss portions of the second part of the book project that she's working on. On this Wednesday or a week from this Wednesday? This Wednesday. Okay, thanks. Yeah, that's right, right? Yes. Yeah. Will she be here in the Zendo uh -huh. or will be hybrid? Yeah, in the Zendo. So the Zendo will be open if you want to attend in person and made available online as well. And next Sunday, we'll have our normal Sunday morning program, but the uh, Dharma talk, instead of having a Dharma talk, we will be having a Jukai ceremony, um, celebrating the completion of three Sangha members completing sewing their rakasus and accepting the precepts. So all are invited to attend, witness, and support that next Sunday. There will be a uh, reception afterwards as well. And a reception afterwards. Thank you, Lori. Okay. <clears throat> For the Dharma talk this morning, I thought um, I would bring you one from Suzuki Roshi rather than inventing one myself. And uh, I like this one. This comes from his book, Not Always So, which is one of my favorites. And uh, one of my favorite lines in the whole book was, and he's, he's giving a talk saying that the most important Zen teaching, and he used to say this all the time, he said the most important Zen teaching, and then he, 10 different times, he'd tell you a different <laughs> teaching. <clears throat> but he said, the most important teaching is only two words, not always so. <laughs> and the funniest part about it is he didn't realize he did that. He was thinking in Japanese. In Japanese, it's two words. Nobody said it in English. <laughs> so I love that. Uh, so they put that as the title of the book, Not Always So. So this is a talk called Resuming Big Mind. And I'm going to skip around a little bit, not read the whole thing, but read you the most of it, and then we can discuss your thoughts and how it relates to your practice. Resuming big mind, and he's talking about sessions or what we would call practice intensives. The purpose of session is to be completely one with our practice. We use two Chinese characters for session, setsu, means to treat something the way you treat a guest or the way a student treats his teacher. Another meaning of setsu is to control or to arrange things in order. Shen means mind or heart. 
So session means to have proper functioning of mind. It is our five senses and our will, our small monkey mind, which should be controlled. When we control our monkey mind, we resume our true big mind. When monkey mind is always taking over the activity of big mind, we naturally become a monkey. So monkey mind must have its boss, which is big mind. However, when we practice Zazen, it is not that big mind is actually controlling small mind, but simply that when small mind becomes calm, big mind starts its true activity. Most of the time in our everyday life, we're involved in the activity of small mind. That is why we should practice Zazen and be completely involved in resuming big mind. In Zazen, we do not try to stop our thinking or cut off hearing or seeing. If something appears in your mind, leave it. If you hear something, hear it and just accept it. Oh, that's all. No second activity should appear in your Zazen. Sound is one activity. The second activity is, quote, what is that sound? Is it a motor car or a garbage truck or something? Unquote. If you hear a sound, that is all. You hear it. Don't make any judgment. Don't try to figure out what it is. Just open your ears and hear something. Just open your eyes and see something. When you sit for a pretty long time watching the same place on the wall, you may see various images. It looks like a river or it looks like a dragon. Then you may think that you should not be thinking, but you see various things. Dwelling on the images may be a good way to kill time, but it's not Shashin. To be concentrated on something may be important, but just to have a well-concentrated mind is not Zazen. It is one of the elements of practice but calmness of mind is also necessary. So don't intensify the activity of the five sense organs. Just leave them as they are. This is how to free your true mind. When you can do so in everyday life, you will have a soft mind. You won't have many preconceived ideas and the bad habits in your way of thinking will not be overpowering. You will have a generous mind and a big mind, and what you say will help others. If we have a generous big mind, and if we have a strong spirit of practice, then there is no need to worry. Dogen emphasized the sparse, simple life. Without expecting anything, we just practice our way. Many students asked how it would be possible to support the temple or group without any plan. And he said, if it becomes difficult to support our temple, we will think about it. But until then, it's not necessary to think about it. So before something happens, it is not our way to think about it too much. In that way, we have complete calmness of mind. 
because you have something you oh, because you have something you worry about losing it but if you don't have anything there is no need to worry one night dogen said even if you think a teaching is complete and right when someone tells you a better way you should change your understanding. In this way, we improve our understanding of the teaching forever. Because you think it is right at that time, you follow the theory or rules, but you also have some space in your mind to change your idea. That is soft mind. It is possible to change your ideas because you know what kind of monkey your thinking is. <laughs> Sound familiar? Sounds familiar? Yeah. Sometimes you follow the monkey's suggestion. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> if we go in that direction, we may get some food. Okay, let's go. <laughs> but when you see a better way to go, you may say, Oh monkey, it may be better to go this way. If you stick to your greed or anger or some other emotion, if you stick to the thinking mind, your monkey mind, you cannot change. Your mind is not soft. So in our practice, we rely on something great and sit in that great space. The pain you have in your legs or some other difficulty is happening in that great space. As long as you do not lose the feeling that you are in the realm of Buddha nature, you can sit even though you have some difficulty. When you want to escape from your difficulty, or when you try to improve your practice, you create another problem for yourself. But if you just exist there, then you have a chance to appreciate your surroundings and you can accept yourself completely without changing anything. That is our practice. To exist in big mind is an act of faith, which is different from the usual faith of believing in a particular idea or being. It is to believe that something is supporting us and supporting all of our activities, including thinking mind and emotional feelings. All these things are supported by something big that has no form or color. It is impossible to know what it is, but something exists there something that is neither material nor spiritual, something like that always exists, and we exist in that space. That is the feeling of pure being. If you're brave enough to throw yourself into Zazen for seven days, a little bit of understanding will help your rigidity and your stubbornness. Almost all the problems you create because of your stubborn mind will vanish. If you have even the smallest understanding of reality, your way of thinking will change completely and the problems you create will not be problems anymore. But it is also true that as long as we live, we will have problems. So we don't practice Zazen to attain some big enlightenment that will change our whole being or solve all our problems. That is not the right understanding. That may be what people call Zen, but true Zen is not like that. 
In Sashin, we concentrate on having the experience of true practice, forgetting all about any gaining idea, forgetting all about any idea of gaining anything. We just sit here. If this room is too cold, we will make it warm. And if your legs become painful, you can stretch them. And if it is too difficult, you can rest. But let's continue our practice for these seven days. Thank you very much. So is it big mind or is it monkey mind? <laughs> How do you know? Is one controlling the other? I invite all of the monkey mind thoughts and big mind thoughts that you have about these things. <laughs> what do you guys think? How's the zoo going? You caring for your monkeys? <laughs> I think it's really easy to fall into a, for me at least, like a, a trap or a pattern of trying to decide if it's big mind or monkey mind, which is just more discursive activity. Um, so there's some kind of discernment that's involved, but it doesn't seem like conceptually you're going to get there. So like, where does that discernment reside? Yeah, no, I think that's that's hits the crux of the problem that Anne and I were talking about earlier. How do you know? Especially if you're just bringing your normal monkey mind to try and figure it out. Well, sometimes I feel like my monkey mind is obvious, and then another part of me can say, oh, that's monkey mind. Is that big mind <laughs> saying that? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, but but uh, I think it's monkey mind to try and go back to the dualism of is it that one or this one? Yeah, it's trying to it's trying to carve them into yeah. two boxes again, uh -huh. right? Yeah, yeah. So it seems to me that it's. It reminds me of wisdom beyond wisdom, the prajnaparamita, the um, what is the discernment? It's beyond discernment. It's beyond yeah, our usual, our usual ways. I don't know what it is though. Mm -hmm. I mean, I keep expecting. I was telling Ty this morning some feeling something that lets me know ah this is the right way and i realize from that conversation it's this it's delusion within delusion um hi um so this morning as i was sitting well i did some some shifting you know Lori has taught us about this shifting exercise and i i do try to do some in the morning and um, the exercise was to um, take your attention into uh, the cave of the heart, so into kind of a deep, a deep, a dark, dark place where you could rest. And a lot of my meditation was was there. 
And um, interrupting that place was um, thoughts about my way seeking mind talk, which I'm preparing. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it, it got into a very performative place, whereas remembering something from meeting um, Flint and Cape Cod and, and a song and, and, and what my hint that I was um, way off in monkey mind was my body was really revving up. And um, yeah, so that was, I just wanted to offer that as, as um, a, a way, it was so clear because it was really uh, such a big difference between the uh, calm of resting in this cave of the heart place and um, yeah, these, these other thoughts. So that, that was my hint and um, yeah, and uh, bringing it back, but also just say okay okay that's there and now now come back yeah so thank you i just wanted to make a reflection with regard to what you're asking of like this sense of i experience it as both and and i have much more clarity when the monkey mind is trying like there's a trying um to my parts to get at something. And then even when you talk about like being in that Buddha nature, there's an absence of maybe grasping, but is all that I, I, I wanna say is this is, is the both and, and, and Todd Hughes gave a talk a while back about even this this layering of noticing the the thinking and then the, the judgment about the thinking and then like these layers of oh and there's the monkey mind and and what mind is observing the monkey mind is and until you you get into that spacious connected space of nothingness right? and and Who's joining us? All right. So, um, I that that's what I'm gonna say, and and Izzy's obviously joining in here. So, thank you all. Thank you. Feline mind. Feline mind. Yeah. What I hear you uh, reflecting on is. Uh, noticing the physical embodied manifestations, right, that kind of help point us to whether or not something's the habituated monkey response or not, right? You can sometimes you can in your body feel the grasping and clinging and yeah. nervousness of the concept that gives you a little hint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Joel? Hi, Todd. Thank you. Thanks for this talk and that that wonderful reading. I I, uh, I wanted to talk about something that that uh, jumped out at me, which is the um, well, two things. One, the the uh, shift. I, I think of it in terms of the shift from perception to apperception, where you're hearing something and then you and then you recognize it with your usually with some words uh and 
that I, I've spent years trying to be at that point, you know, to see where it is, where those, where that boundary is. And I, I can never find it. So it just, those things just sweep by and then something else takes its place. And, and, uh, but I, I, I painted, you know, over the years I've read that section from Suzuki Roshi and, and other teachers who say similar things. And I figure it must be important and that you know, and therefore I must grasp it literally. Uh, and um, <coughs> pardon me. Um, and I, for myself, what I've come to is, is okay, well, that's a, just a natural process for me that, you know, when I perceive something I'm going to, then it's going to rock it around in my brain long enough so that some words will form around it. But that it's the next step of calling it good or bad uh, that is what I need to be paying attention to um, and, and not embracing the calling of it as good or bad. Um, and I don't know, does that, does that fit with what you think that Suzuki Roshi was saying? That it, that, that the, the monkey mind is not just, um, ceaseless chasing after sensory perceptions or desires or something like that, but that it is hanging on. It's the, it's grasping, you know? Does that make sense to you or am I missing something important in that teaching? No, it makes sense to me. I think, I think Suzuki Roshi is pointing at the same instruction that um, he famously gave by uh, giving Zazen instruction as basically taking the one seat in the middle of the Zendo uh, to see what happens. Oh, you open the front door, you open the back door of the room and you sit there in awareness and you wait to see what happens, who comes in. And his instructions is whatever guests come in, good, bad, thought, feeling, right? You allow them to come and you allow them to go. You just don't serve them tea, right? You remember that one? So what he's pointing at is, is that the practice on the cushion is to use your concentration and awareness um, to energize what's actually happening, your awareness in the moment, not to have a discursive figuring out of something. So the guest comes in, you're like, oh, it's a, you know, elephant in robes. You don't go, I wonder where the elephant came from. Is there a zoo missing an elephant? Where, how does he sew the robes? How would you get that much fabric? You know, now you're dancing with the thought. Now you're serving a tea. You just go, an elephant in robes? That's strange. I wonder what's next. You know, you come back to the body, breath, mind. So to me, it's the same kind of instruction that he's giving there. It's like, we're not trying to figure out through discursive thought what you're seeing or what you're hearing or what made the sound it's just like oh sound what's next oh thought groceries what's next you know so that's how i take it so okay well thank you thank you very much nelda
Good morning. How are you, Todd? Good. Good morning. Um, thank you for bringing this because, and thank you everyone in the Zendo and online because you expand, you expand the uh, my practice and and practice for each other. And it was in that discussion and what someone at the Zendo brought that I'm bringing, I guess, a question and and where I am. Um, I don't know if it was Anne or whoever said, delusion within delusion, right? How do we know monkey mind? How do we know big mind? And and the reality is in, in this life, in this constructed life, um, regardless of where we're coming from, there are moments when we have to take action. And so this is tangentially related to your talk in this sense, Todd. Um, I used to have a very simplistic way of deciding I was in big mind. <laughs> and that was is if my heart, body, emotions, and and mind were all aligned, then I was on the right path. Until I started listening to news reports of the attack today in in Israel. And I realized both sides feel like their hearts, minds, bodies, emotions, and thoughts are aligned. And they're at polar opposites in, in different ways. And so I guess I'm asking this in context of, there are times we do have to take action um, when the elephant comes in, right? The elephant comes in about to stomp on you. All right, what, what do you do? How do you, how do you know that what you are aligning is big mind as opposed to small mind that feels perfectly aligned as it does for as it does for people in the Middle East right now in this particular um, scenario, Hamas and Israel. That's my question. Well, I'm glad you just made it a simple one. <laughs> so, yeah, and hopefully in the next seven minutes we can give the answer and solve peace in the Middle East. So. Well, no, I think you're you're touching on the root of the issue, which is where I think we started here. Anne and I were discussing this morning, and what John Cooley was bringing up is, when do you listen? Right? The mind has so many thoughts. When when do you ignore it as, oh, that's my habituated response. That's, you know, that's monkey mind. And when do you take action and say, no, that's correct. I should go that way. I have no answer for that, but a bit of advice. One is first consider the precepts. If it, if it goes against any of the precepts, it's not advisable. That much I know. Beyond that, that is the ground of practice. That's why we sit. As we, we sit um, facing the wall, number of players zero with nothing else to do, you slowly become more and more familiar with your particular flavor of monkey mind. When does it scream, ouch? When does it hit back? When does it run away? What story does it tell? Until you get so familiar with your little monkey, it doesn't fool you as much anymore. But I know of no magic. 
that was the perfect gateway. Thank you. John, I think this kind of goes back to what Rosemary was talking about too, about the, the physicality of it, the body. Um, I discovered a cycle of teachings in the Pali canon over the, I think addressed this topic, I wish I remembered where um, exactly, I, I don't right now. But the Buddha, he talks about sort of similarly two types of mind, but he describes the one that's maybe more like monkey mind as the puppeteer. And the idea is that discursive thinking is always going to bring these kind of physical manifestations and ticks and constrictions along with it. And he sets opposite the puppeteer, something called yoni, which translates to like womb, like womb mind, belly mind. Um, and I think that's all I'm gonna say about that, which is so people know that's out there. Um, it's a really wonderful, teaching that has been helpful to me. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I a, a little bit along with Nelda, I, I have had a confusion about this. And it, it has to do with when I'm sitting and this something, um, a thought that that kind of is repetitive and keeps coming back. And when that happens is there's usually a, a part, a child part that needs some attention. And I'm, I'm always confused whether, um, you know, to something important needs attention. Um, and whether, um, yeah, what, when to, when to use the, the sitting to give it the attention that it's calling for. It's something important um or to make the effort to and sometimes the effort won't work it's just kind of overwhelming sometimes to um but yeah which which way to go i'm i'm a little confused about about um how to um what to pay attention to there well this is why we say the practice is transmitted warm hand to warm hand and why we encourage people to have a relationship with our teacher or teachers is so that you can work through these little experiments in mindfulness to see, you know, if you try A one day, what you get from it. If you try B the next day, what you get from it. And your teacher can help you maybe see the ways in which you're meeting it that might be helpful or might not be helpful. So um, we give a lot of generic practices to people, especially in the beginning. But th that's a great practice discussion topic for somebody who knows you and is working with you. But short answer here today, I'll say is, uh, you know, there's no one answer. Each one would be a very interesting experiment. You do the experiment and you see what you get. But in general, we try not to use our time on the cushion for discursive analysis and conceptual engagement. We do that all the rest of the time. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. All right, we got a few minutes left. If anyone else has any questions or comments, reflections. 
old ages, I'm getting ready to retire from a different job, starting to do more house cleaning. And the way I've always thought about it is that I'm always going to have monkeys, but that they get quietest when they have a job. And I bring, it, they're, they're, it's kind of like I always say, you know, January and monkeys clean the service. Because right? <laughs> <laughs> they, they actually can do a pretty good job doing They do the mean toilet. <laughs> but I guess I'm, I'm being kind of right. joking to make a point and, and, and ask a question, which is, do the monkeys ever get so quiet that they that they um, that they can really always stay in their little corner, or do they? Is trying to give them a job just another way of breeding monkeys? Yeah, you're <laughs> right. Serving them tea and maybe setting yeah. up a, 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 a breeding service for monkeys. <laughs> Yeah, I would. Yes, I would say in some ways what you're describing is the head elder monkey giving the little monkeys jobs, right? <laughs> that's what that's I right. feel like. Yeah. That's right. But I'm like a, a mature monkey. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> oh yeah. But that that doesn't that doesn't mean it's wrong or bad. It just means that's a step on the path, right? But it, that's right. <laughs> At some point, we need to kind of leap beyond monkey or not. You know? Right. Yeah. That's that's my right. really my question is how do you like give up? Is does that will it ever like dissolve? Yeah. I don't. Well, first of all, <laughs> I know in my case it has not. <laughs> Just start there. <laughs> And um, from what I've heard from other teachers uh, who've practiced much longer than I have, they normally warn people to don't expect they're going to go away. Um, but you can't expect not to be fooled by them as easily. Right? So yes, we live in a world of monkeys. Just don't believe them all. So I'd like to hear what you think. Okay. That's just a way I've been kind of turning this recently myself. It's like how it's, I kind of take it for granted that however this is resolved or met is like mental activity. You know, it's this analytic sort of activity of this or that, which we've been talking about this whole time. But I started reflecting on like, what are moments or experiences I had where I don't have to ask myself, like, what should I do with my mind, you know? And so I don't like practice yoga much anymore like I used to, but I know that when I'm like in a headstand, I don't have to wonder where to put my mind, <laughs> you know, like on a good day when I'm teaching and things are flowing with the kids and it's moving, there's nothing extra, like there's nothing left over. And so I've been thinking about zazen as this like effort of just like total engagement with the posture, kind of along what you just said, like the monkeys without a job, mm -hmm. run amok and then you just keep birthing new monkeys to control the ones that are already there. And so something about this like total engagement, which I think if we reflect on it, I think we've all touched that before. Um, 
So I'm just curious about how that may or may not come to the cushion with. Yeah, it sounds, we often give people instruction, especially new people instructions um, that are giving them something to do because it's so hard to give someone nothing to do and expect them to do it. And so we do this whole engagement with the breath, the whole engagement with the posture or the mind as a way, um, basically you're giving the monkeys something to turn the crank on. Okay, monkeys, here's your job. Pay attention to the body, right? I don't think you were, you weren't asking about that in the beginning. You were talking about the states of not getting caught in the discursive thought and just kind of knowing what was next and earlier today. No, I mean, and when you started it, when in this interaction, when you started by talking about having those moments and kind of knowing in the headstand and in the teaching that they're just happening and there's no fight. Yeah, it's like when that discursive mind goes away, it's not there worrying about yeah. it. You know what I mean? And so it's like I actually notice and wonder if we all have kind of touched this thing yeah. that when we then return to our discursive thinking and we have conversations like this about like, what is it? And you know, how can we touch it? And for me, it's been helpful to remember that like there are these moments where like everything is totally there's no there's nothing left over to have to try to concentrate mm -hmm. because it's such a full engagement with your life, you know. Um, and I think that's tough. It's tough for me to do in such a when it's just me here on the yeah. cushion. But I wonder if that is in the right direction. Yeah, we're all of these things are pointing towards the fact that discursive thought isn't the answer that you aren't going to solve this with the right concept right so the 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 effort to solve it conceptually is the problem right and it's not a problem in a sense that it's something we have to get rid of it's our human nature we analyze predict control explain you know teach others pass along and all of it is an oversimplification of what's actually happening, but we're good at it and even build skyscrapers, right? So, um, in a commentary, I was just picking up on the Shin Shin Ming right in the beginning when they're talking about the primal disease of the mind, you know, he says that basically attempting to understand it is like trying to catch uh, a feather in the room using a fan. Like all you do is every time you go after it, you just, I mean, it, it's a slippery fish, right? You, you're not going to, you're not going to get underneath and behind the curtain of concepts with the right concept. It's just, you know, like Dogen says, the Buddha way is leaping clear of the one and the many. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just finding the openness where don't know, not bothered by it right now. I'm standing on my head. <laughs> Leave me alone. I've got a balance. <laughs> so those situations John is describing are examples of leaping clear. That's the way I was taking it. Maybe. Mm -hmm. 
this is our practice. We come here and chew on these things together, knowing full well we won't be able to swallow. <laughs> that doesn't mean we don't study Buddhist concepts and talk about them. They're all pointers that help us on our way. Mostly, I think of them as encouragement. Anything that encourages you to keep going and not give up, come back and sit again, and it did its job. Whether or not it's right concept, the right concept is the one that makes you sit down again. That's it. Thank you very much. Yeah.